Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. I'm Edward Schuler, joined as always by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how you doing today? Hey, Ed, I'm doing good. It is a finally a long weekend this year. I almost actually forgot that it was going to be a long weekend. I realized during work, uh, like on Tuesday, um, I looked at the calendars. Like, oh, it's the last week of May. Oh, sweet, we have Memorial Day coming up. <laughs> we, yeah. I, I don't have to work next Monday. I'm, so that was a it was a nice surprise uh, with for me because losing track of time and and everything like that happens often. So that was fun. And then obviously last night game, uh, we were talking about it a little bit before we started recording with the Celtics and the heat, mm. uh, another phenomenal game by uh, Jimmy Butler, future hall of famer, Jimmy Butler, uh, yeah. as I like to call him. Uh, yeah. So that was a really fun game. Playoffs has been, you know, interesting and we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be Miami versus the Warriors, but yeah, we'll see how that turns out. How have you been? Yo, I've been good. Uh, like you said, the holidays have snuck, well, the holiday has snuck up a little bit. And it's kind of funny because uh, the NBA draft is sneaking up on us, too. We're less than a month out from the NBA draft. The NBA draft is on June 23rd. So it's going to be here before you know it, like probably a week and some change after the NBA finals end. So uh, basketball is never, is never stopping at this point. We got... The finals coming up. We got the NBA draft. Then we're going to have free agency. So there, there's a lot to get into uh, coming up. And there's a bunch of rumors out there as well. Like we were talking about before we uh, started recording, Zach Levine seems to be a pretty hot topic, depending on uh, the rumor. We've heard everything from uh, Dallas to LeVar Ball saying he's going to leave and all this other stuff. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff that's starting to pile up in Bulls fans. Uh, I think some Bulls fans are becoming... Uh, a little uh, antsy about what could uh, possibly happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I've been saying that this is basically clutch sports um, doing their thing to make sure the market is right for Zach and to make sure the uh, or com- market is you know competitive for Zach and to make sure that that the ownership who is known to be cheap not cheap out just offer him the five-year max and uh you know when you you know you talk about max players in this league obviously there's there's always nuance involved in the conversation of what a max player is um is zach a max player like the way guys like dev uh not dev booker sorry uh like Giannis on the two uh Giannis, uh, uh screwing <laughs> up his last name so i'm just gonna say Giannis. Yeah. um and tongue-tied there uh, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, all those guys? No, obviously not. But like, 
you look at, you know, the player that he is, you look at the NBA economics in general, you look at guys like Devin Booker, look at Bradley Beal, you know, like Jamal Murray, all these type of players. And it's like, yeah, Zach is a max player compared to those guys. And that's what those guys are getting. They're also getting the max. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's about, it's about making sure you keep your all-star, making sure the reputation of this franchise continues to get it better. And it's on to, you know, it's up to AK and, and uh, Mark Eversley to continue to get improve this team and find a way, obviously, if you can't be a contender, just find a way to continue to get better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Zach Levine is, we, we know he's not in that same tier as the guys you mentioned, but that's just not the criteria for being worth a max contract in today's NBA. If, if only those type of players were worth the max, then... <laughs> deals would be a lot a lot tougher uh going forward but uh i i really don't think there's much to think about on the bulls and at least for what zach is gonna get he's getting he's getting a, a max from everyone who offers it to him the bulls whether it's some team uh outside of the bulls he's going to get a max deal one way or another it's just the bulls can uh offer for most so we'll we'll get into a little bit more with zach levine a little bit later but we do want to start with uh uh, the Dallas Mavericks actually and unfortunately they were eliminated uh, a few days ago by the Golden State Warriors in a 4-1 uh, series in the Western Conference Finals but Luka Doncic one of our favorites me and Celine both both love Luka he lit the playoffs on fire and he showed the type of ceiling that everyone is just falling in love with and really the sky is the limit right now i think for the dallas mavericks moving forward so uh who better than to to bring in to talk about the dallas mavericks and some nba draft and of course we're going to get into a little bit of bull stuff later as well but we've had him on bulls go before he is an nba draft analyst for the locked on network you can follow him on twitter at mavs draft he knows his stuff one of the best draft followers you're going to find on twitter rich stamen rich Thank you for joining us here on Bulls Gold, man. Hey, appreciate the kind introduction. That was uh, that was very nice. I'm I'm excited to be back. Yeah, yeah. It's always uh, it's nice having you on. You give a lot of great insight, and uh, you know you don't you don't get too high and low with mm-hmm. your analysis. So it's always good to get uh, an outside. Like I always love getting outside pers- perspective for, about not only various stuff about the draft. Like obviously you're. Uh, that's your expertise, but like just always outside perspective on the Bulls to when you're one, definitely one of our favorites. Yeah, because we're always in our like Bulls bubble with stuff, and even though we we think we have good opinions about the Bulls, but it's always good to get like that outsider's perspective to see if maybe we're crazy about something or not. But uh, yeah, we're we're looking forward to talking to you about some different topics, and especially the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic. Who I, I, did like, I don't think anyone really expected Dallas to to get as far as they did right like but the fact that they did is just a testament to what they're building right now with Luca. I mean they had a good supporting cast the trade that they uh made at the trade deadline with uh to get Spencer Dinwiddie uh Bertans like that helped a lot to really kind of transform the makeup of a team and Jalen Brunson has been like a draft steal from where he went and he's just been incredible so he's been a really good running mate for uh Dasha. so rich what did you think of the mavericks run in this postseason like did it surprise you and what do you make of how that impacts the team going forward in terms of how they can build around luca 
Yeah, I think if you ask most people, given how Luca strained his calf at game 82, I think most of us would have been pretty surprised to see them even come out of the first round back in April. And they advanced, they beat the title favorites in the Suns. And I mean, yeah, they lost in five to the Warriors. But I think just getting out of the first round for the first time in 11 years was such a win. And they were playing with house money against Phoenix and they still kept advancing. I think it was a really good stepping stone. The the next thing for the front office is making sure that you're not the new Atlanta Hawks where the Hawks last year went to the Eastern conference finals and were an eight seed. Granted, I think it's a little bit harder to do with Luca. Um, I think he's just that much better mm-hmm. than Trey young with all due respect. It's not a knock at Trey. I just think Luca is the top three to five player in the league and it's going to be harder to drop to eight. The difference though, is also, this is a new front office. This was year one of their building a team and they really only got to make one major move outside of signing Reggie Bullock which is trading for Spencer Dinwiddie and Donis Bertans to cut up that Porzingis contract. So there's still going to be a lot of changes to be made, which is why I'm optimistic it won't be another in a Hawk situation. So how, how do the Mavs do that going into the offseason? Obviously, Jalen Brunson is a big name for your for the Mavericks as far as the free agents concerned. He showed a lot in the playoffs. Like I was surprised at some of the things that he was doing as even offensively, just having some of these monster scoring games, just kind of carrying the offense in general as a playmaker too. And that first round where Luca was kind of in and out of the lineup. Um, obviously, it's gonna be Interesting to see how much he gets on the open market outside of Zach Levine. You know, there's not a lot of big names this free agency. Uh, and obviously, then after you keep Brunson, there's ways to find uh, like, is he a second? Is he a three? I probably look at more of like a third guy on, on, on a like a contender. Like how, how do you find that second guy or do you have to do something where you find a couple of threes, if you will, uh, to team up a Luca and that could be good enough to have them be a contender? Yeah, I think it actually, they, they're fine. I think with Dinwiddie and Brunson for now, at least, I think that's a sustainable solution. I think Brunson a little bit more than Dinwiddie long-term, but ultimately Dinwiddie is a good third option. The problem is for them is, they don't have any front court playmakers. They have zero players outside of Luca that are taller than six, five that can create their own shot in any capacity. And when you're limited to just guards that can do that, you're probably not going to win the title. You look at just about every other team in the playoffs right now has somebody six, six or taller. That's a creator one way or another. And you need that as a, as a, you know, as a star, you need somebody with size that can also create. And I should say there's another player in addition to the star that's not the main star because obviously like Jason Tatum is the star, but you also, or excuse me, Jimmy Butler is the star in Miami, but he also has Bam Adebayo, who's an underrated creator, Kyle Lowry uh, there to compliment him. So I think getting, whether he's the second, third, even fourth option, I think getting a front court playmaker actually would do a lot for Luka. And Porzingis was supposed to be that guy. Like, I, I think when they got Porzingis, everyone was having flashbacks of, oh, we got the, the Steve Nash Dirk vibes going again, like round two. But Porzingis' uh, tenure in Dallas wasn't what everyone thought it could be. Why didn't that work out like, you know, everyone in Dallas thought it could? Um, but there's a couple things. The first two years, I don't think Porzingis and Carlisle ever really got along. Mm-hmm. I think there was always a kind of uh, some erupted. I, there, I can't think of the right word, but it, some stuff just never clicked with Luca and Carlisle, and I think it trickled down. 
ultimately that's why I was okay with the change. Didn't really matter who it was. It was addition by subtraction, but obviously Jason Kidd's done some good stuff, but with Porzingis, the injuries, I think it probably took a toll, especially come this year when, I mean, Luca was playing through an ankle sprain, I think is what it was, or neck strain, both of them really. Meanwhile, Porzingis had a sore toe and missed a week. And it's like, that stuff kind of matters. You look at, I feel like we've heard these kinds of things with Anthony Davis in the past where he's just so injury prone. He's like, I, I just, I can't, I can't fight through the pain. Mm-hmm. And that stuff I think takes a toll on top of that. You look at how his defense outside of some light rim protection hasn't been that good in a couple years. And ultimately he just, Porzingis was predictable as a playmaker. I think that's ultimately to answer your question, why it didn't work out. He would do the same crossovers into post ups and do the same post spins it was very predictable to defend. He had one or two go-to moves, and if he got countered, he had nothing. So I think that's a big – that's pretty much the summary of why it didn't work out here. But you, you talk about getting that big that can kind of solidify um, as a playmaking creator, if you will. Now, obviously, this DeAndre Ayton is not necessarily a creator, but he has improved uh, in that, like, short role. Uh, you know, he's continuing to get better in that regards of finding guys, uh, uh, shooters out of – uh, out, out of going inside out, if you will. Um, and then obviously he's also improving with his jumper as well. Um, do, do you think the Mavs will probably try to go all in on DeAndre this offseason? Obviously being that it's looking like at least like he's, his days with the Suns are over. Yeah, I think like outside of – I really do think front court creator is not the first need. I think it's just something that will put him over the top eventually. The biggest need was exposed in the Warrior series, and that was and in the first two games of the Sun series, really, which was they have no big man. Like they have one big man who should be playing NBA rotation minutes, and that is Maxi Kleba. He you can't just win with one big. So yes, they should have interest. I know for a fact in 2018, the front office back then had Aiden number one. Uh, obviously, in the media stuff, they'll tell you Luca is always our number one. Every team says that in the top five. They're like, oh, this is our number one player. It's just. You know, it's kind of antics at that point. It's just got good PR. But I know they did love Aiden. So I wonder if Cuban and some of the scouts that are still there and all that, they have an influence enough to get him. The problem is you probably have to dump Tim Hardaway, which is very hard considering I think he has three or four more years left on a pretty high contract. And on top of that, I don't think you can keep Brunson and get Aiden. Maybe my cap math is off, but I I think that's going to be a tough obstacle. And if he came down to Aiden or Brunson, I'd, there's a decent chance I choose Brunson just because of the lack of creation on the team. Is someone like maybe Gobert an option to trade for as well? I, I mean, I, I don't think he really fits as a creator, but he's still a very impactful player. Is he someone that would be of interest to Dallas? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No matter what, I know there was some PR stuff said, like, uh, or not really just PR, just when kid in the post-game press conferences was talking about Gobert kind of, you know, being soft or whatever he said, like, yeah, that stuff lasts, but also let's be real. If he was on the Mavs, you have the best rim protector in the league. And uh, actually David Locke of Locked on Jazz, and he's a radio broadcaster for the Jazz, said something interesting. If you're a top five rim protecting team, almost every year those teams win 50 games. So just looking at the Mavs, they barely scraped 50 wins this year without a rim protector. And I, I just, I can't imagine how good they'd be. I, I think they would be in the running for 60 games one. And uh, you look at just what Rudy Gobert did this last year, 15, 16 points a game on 71% shooting. And that was with Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, who neither of them liked passing to Gobert that much. Mm. I don't think Luca holds a grudge considering he still passed to Porzingis a lot, even though they didn't like 
get along that well at the end. I can't imagine. I think Gobert could score even more on the same efficiency. Not like 20 or something, but he could climb up to 16, 17 points per game. I think it's an elite fit. That's honestly a dream for me. How about guys like Yusuf Nurkic or, or even Mo Bamba? Um, I mean, those probably helps you keep Brunson, uh, like the type of contracts you would have to go for them. Because obviously, Rudy Gobert's contract is tough to trade for as well. It's such a massive contract that you're, you're essentially you'll have two like super, not super max, but like you have obviously Luca and the super max, but then uh, Gobert on the max as well. Then it kind of makes it hard to keep Brunson potentially. Um, again, I'm not a big cap guy either, so I. I I guess I shouldn't for sure say that, but maybe if if you feel that it would probably be hard to keep Brunson getting eight and uh, probably similarly with Gobert. But yeah, I mean, like Mo Bamba and then Yusuf Nurkic. I feel Nurkic has a lot of injury concerns in the past, but if you're trying to be cost-effective, guys that can kind of do certain things that you're looking for, those two names are, are really interesting to look at as well. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Nurkic. The injuries obviously are a little bit scary, but you look at a guy who he can defend the paint, he can shoot mid-range shots, and he's really – I think he's a pretty creative passer. I think that would help a lot. I would take him. Probably needs to be cheap, and you need to get another center with him. He can't be your only big man signing on the offseason, so that would be kind of something to worry about. But ultimately, I would take him. Mo Bamba, uh, I'm not big on him. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm big with the Magic, too, and – I, I just I worry about his game really ever sticking in the NBA. Yes, his tools like as a stretch five who can block shots is valuable, but everything for me that I've seen with him just it all has to be handed to him on a silver platter pretty much. Like he can't create his own looks in any way offensively. He doesn't really do anything advanced on the defensive end. Guys are just reckless towards him, and then ta-da, he got a block. So I worry about him. However. If there was one guard to really maximize his game, it's probably Luca. And especially with this defense that was top five in the NBA this year, Dallas could definitely make him useful. They're one of the few spots that could use him as a reclamation project. Just not my first choice. Let me go at the uh, Jalen Brunson. He's been, again, like he's been really good. And he's been a hell of a steal for the Dallas Mavericks and just fits with Luca so well. And we saw him have a really good postseason. He's going to get a pretty good contract from Dallas. How good do you think he can become in this league? Like, I mean, he's this season, he's coming off 50% from the field, uh, 37% from three and, you know, about 16 a game. Are are we talking about a potentially like an all-star level player one day? Like, what do you think his ceiling is ultimately? Uh, I don't think it's an all-star, but I think it's better than what it is now. You look at how the the free throw percentage has gotten so much better over the last three years, and with that, his three-point percentage has been better uh, every, every year since his rookie year. Uh, so I, I think, you know, the shooting upside is legit. He shot 40% last year, 37% this year. I think he can stay around there. The thing that's a little bit hidden is those assist numbers. When you're playing next to Luka and also Dinwiddie, when you're kind of in a stacked guard front court, you have a ball-dominant guard. Your assists are obviously going to be deflated. It's his first year over four assists per game. He pretty much had five just rounding up from 4.8. And I think if he were to go to a team, say the Knicks, obviously Julius Randle's a little bit ball dominant, but he would be the pure second option in a little bit different of a way. I think he could clear five by a lot. He could probably touch six assists a game with the same shooting and efficiency. So I think if you look at like a 17 and six guy on 50% shooting, that is a borderline all-star. Yeah. I really like him. Like obviously, you know, 
uh, excuse me, Bradford's out there because he's a Illinois product, Rockford product, um, or Chicago actually, isn't he? Yeah. Um, I was I always confuse him and then Fred Van Vliet for some reason. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. And actually, that's probably an interesting comparison just because both of them came out from like you know older uh, rookies because they were like you know went under the radar. So I was. I think that's why I was confused both of them, but yeah, he's. It's interesting. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes an all star. Like he's only twenty five right now. He'll be twenty six. You know, nowadays I feel like development curves are just so weird. Like guys are continuing to develop, and like when they're twenty seven, twenty eight years old, and getting better and better and better. Still, so, so mm-hmm. like I feel like a lot of teams have done so much better with how they're developing players. So I like I wouldn't be surprised personally if, if he got an all star nod here or there. Uh, at some point, just because, like I said, the things that he was doing in the playoffs in that first time, I feel like that was kind of like a breakout moment for him. Yeah, and especially if you look at, like like I said, if that Jazz trade happens and they get Gobert and Keith Brunson, you're looking at a team that wins probably, I mean, I, I really don't think it's a stretch to, to say they win 60 games. I mean, this year the Mavs won 52. It's only an eight-game improvement. When you're a 60-team win, 61 team, excuse me, you're up for two or three all-star bids. Yeah, Gobert's probably in front of him, but if the Mavs are that good and he's that good, they could be a three-team bid, and that would be how Brunson gets an all-star nod. Yeah, it. I think Salim makes a good point where, and it's really interesting to see, but like these older like upperclassmen now, I feel like, are coming into the NBA, and you can't just like disregard them as low ceiling anymore. Like guys like... You know, like Brunson was a guy that slipped to the second round, but I mean, it's not like he was, uh, you know, like the 50th pick or something like that, but like just kind of like right at the top of the second round. But he's had a lot more upside than I think people imagine. And to me, he's like one of the more fascinating like developments in the league because, like, yeah, I could see him becoming an all star and like he, he showed flashes of it against Golden State and. At the same time, like if he did leave uh, Dallas, like I think his ceiling would go up even a little bit more. But ultimately, I feel like Dallas is just probably the best fit for him because he just fits so well next to Luca, and kind of gives them someone who can be either like a number three or sometimes like even a number two on the right night when he's hot. So if they kind of get some of that, like what he did in some games against Golden State out of him, like really like his potential going forward. Uh, I wanted to ask you, too, about, like, the coaching with Dallas. Jason Kidd got a lot of props this postseason for what he did with Dallas. And I, I think we go back a year ago, and a lot of people didn't really like that hire uh, coming off Rick Carlisle. What have you thought about Jason Kidd in his first season of Dallas? Yeah, I did a 180. I was one of those people. Uh, yeah. I thought the coaching mattered, the skill mattered. But I, after about a week, I kind of turned and I was like, you know, it's an addition by subtraction. They clearly didn't mesh with him. When you lose the locker room, you could be the greatest coach. I mean, if Red Auerbach or something or Phil Jackson yeah. lost the locker room, you know, you still you still lost the locker room. You're in a tough situation. So ultimately, it was the right move. What really impressed me was the the setup that Jason Kidd had. You look at Sean Sweeney, who used to be with the Pistons as his defensive coordinator, pretty much, and Igor, um, who I'm not going to try and botch his last name, but the former Suns coach, mm-hmm. he was the offensive coordinator. They did a great job of surrounding Jason Kidd. They went exactly how the Lakers surrounded Frank Vogel, including Jason Kidd, and look what happened right after he left. So I think Jason Kidd has a great system in place, and ultimately everybody's bought in, and the system works. It's 
That's really good. Yeah. My issue, my biggest issue beyond really even Carlisle was good X and O's, X's and O's, Jason Kidd's best play before coming into the Dallas job was spilling a beer to get a timeout. <laughs> and my bigger issue though was, yeah, beyond that, there's some X's and O's issues. He had some character concerns, obviously, with the domestic violence. And this is an organization that continually, it, it's every six months, it feels like, is popping up with something of not treating women right, all this terrible workplace, um, just sexual harassment, workplace harassment, things like that. And my issue was that was not the right person you need to be bringing in when that's the picture you've been putting out for two years. So, uh, But ultimately, on the court, I think he's done a great job. Yeah, I mean, we'll be interested to see if, like, maybe even he's learned uh, as a just as a coach itself. Like, uh, for me, I, I was definitely one of the people that didn't like it because of the off court stuff. Uh, but you know, it's it is what it is at this point. But yeah, I'm looking at looking at him as far as an X's and O's coach. See if he can develop in that regards as far as getting better maybe learning from being on the bench with some other coaches. I mean, people, people, people don't want to say coaches can develop too. And maybe that's something that, you know, Jason Kidd uh, has done as a coach. Yeah, it's a, that's a very good point. The development in coaches, people think only players develop, but coaches develop too. There's a lot to learn in the game. Yeah. It, it seems like, uh, the the Lakers originally really wanted Kidd as their uh, head coach before they fired up uh, before they hired Vogel. So maybe even the Lakers kind of saw something different in Kidd as well uh, when they made sure to keep him on as assistant coach. And uh, so far, like yeah, he's Kidd has looked uh, really good as a coach, and it'll be interesting to watch going forward. Uh, switching gears a little bit into some Bulls talk. Uh, I don't know how like legitimate this rumor was, and me and Celine were talking about it as well. But we were talking about how uh, there's been some rumors about Zach Levine uh, being linked with the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, I'm I'm no cap guru as well, so I don't know how you know possible it is to do that and for them to do other things or whatever. But what do you think about some of those rumors with Dal- uh, with Zach Levine in Dallas? Uh, anybody can be interested at anyone mm. at any point. They, the Mavs also are a team that historically has been high-level interest with players, only to be used as leverage. And let's be real, it's going to happen again. <laughs> the, Mavs, the Mavs have had, I mean, I could, I could name an entire laundry list over the last 10 years. The only one that really wasn't the case was Darren Williams. He wanted to be here. Mark Cuban was just an idiot about how he handled that situation. He acknowledges that. But I, I worry it's just another leverage issue. Like it, the only thing is the Mavs are interested. But of course, Zach Levine's an All Star, and the Mavs need an All Star. Who's not going to be interested in Zach Levine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I take this as like I, I, I have no doubt that these teams that the, the Mavs, the Lakers, um, I think the Hawks were mentioned, and there was another team I can't remember off the top of my head that was interested as well. I have no doubt that those teams are interested in Zach Levine. Everyone's interested in getting an All Star, like you said, Rich. Um, I just think also these teams are being used as leverage. Uh, As I mentioned before, you know, we have a reputation as an ownership group to be stingy um, and not, you know, not pay what we should be paying as far as cap and everything. We've battled with, you know, players in the past about paying them a certain amount. I think like Derek Rose was the only player that they gave the full year max to without 
any hesitation. I think before that, they've always negotiated with players. They negotiated with Zach before his injury. I mean, to his to their credit, like yeah, it made sense because he was coming off that knee injury situation. Uh, but yeah, coming into here, it's just like they clutch wants to make sure that ownership and the bulls just come out, give him the five-year max and they're putting the pressure on that. So that's honestly is the way I see it. And the rumor out today was that the bulls are going to be set to offer Zach the five-year max. Um, I will, I still won't be surprised if Zach goes out and just visits with a few teams. Uh, we'll see like how that turns out. Like, cause I also think about him, this is like his, first time being like a free agent as a star, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these guys like to get like the wine and dine, you know, come on, they, you know, come on over. We'll, we'll show you a good time. And then, and then you can make a decision if you want. And then you know, obviously those guys end up like staying with their teams. Like I remember with Carmelo a few years back, the bulls and all these other teams, like, you know, showed him around and things like that. And then he ended up obviously staying with the Knicks. So, in the end, like I said, if the Bulls offer him the five-year max, you know, long answer short, I think he's staying in Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. I I think you make a good point with free agency that a lot of players still just want to, you know, do their due diligence and talk to teams just to see what's out there, just to see how other teams are thinking. Like, maybe there is a team that actually has a, a plan, like a, a better plan than the Bulls. So it's just like, you know, you, you never know these things unless you talk to those teams. And it might be something that piques your interest here and there. But ultimately, I, I do expect Zach Levine uh, to stay with the Bulls, especially when they offer that full uh, five-year max. Uh, Rich, what did you think of Zach Levine this season? Uh, he, he he was a an, an all-star again. And... He he played a really crucial part in this team's turnaround, considering the last three or four years of what they've been through. And even though he kind of took was a number two option, uh, Demar Derozan, but he still looked good. He still put up like his usual numbers. What did you think of what he did this season? Yeah, some of the numbers obviously they decreased. That's going to happen when you add Lonzo Ball and Demar Derozan. I think it was honestly for the better. Obviously, and, and you know his efficiency really dropped too. But I think that might have had to do with just the league as a whole. The shooting dropped with one less attempt from three per game, dropped two and a half, three percent from three. Overall field goal percentage dropped from really elite. I don't know how this didn't get talked about more last year, but 27 points a game, 51 percent down to 24 on 48. Like, I think he's fine. I don't think the numbers really are scary that he drops or anything. I I think it was just pretty much more of the same. I think this is what we're going to see. This is his prime for now three years, pretty much since the 2019-20 season. He's been the same player, 25 points a game, near 50% shooting almost any given year. And he's going to be efficient. He's going to score from all three levels, and he's going to pass. I think he's just kind of more of the same, different volume. Yeah, I think like this past season, too, there was a lot of injury thing. He was banged up all season. Uh, he started out his hand he had a hand injury on his like non-shooting thumb, but still even on your non-shooting thumb, you still need to be able to like have good ball placement and things like that when you're shooting the ball. So that definitely hurt him. And then as the season went on, uh, that left knee started acting up again. And obviously we're finding out he had uh, off season knee surgery that he just completed that went well. And he's going to have full recovery on, but yeah, all those things kind of played into it. And when you consider 
like he went through all that and the season that he still had is like man this kid is really good like why are people so hesitant to not want to pay him his max um, it's just a bizarre thing like you look at a guy that's basically injured all year and he still has an all-star season and you're sitting here saying mm, i don't know if i want to max this guy out so when he's healthy he we know what he is so why not just keep that guy yeah yeah it's uh like the, the criticism i've seen from people just continues to boggle me especially after we already went through what we went through with jimmy butler it's just like it's you can't just let players like this just walk for nothing like it's there has to be you have to have something something formidable to to replace them with or you just you're getting worse without really getting anything so like letting zach walk uh we talked about the basketball ramifications of it but like like you said this team is notorious in their treatment of players and negotiations so it would just look bad on the team and it would look like same old bulls same old bulls ownership it's just not the type of vibes that you really want to uh you know bring back especially when you have all of this goodwill that's been earned by this uh new front office with carnivorous and eversley so uh yeah it's just hopefully they i i have pretty good faith that they're going to uh keep zach levine uh rich what did what do you think the bulls can realistically do to take another step in the eastern conference assuming they do bring back zach levine this team they looked really good for the first half of the season, as we know, when they were healthy. They were one of the better teams in the league. But their second half of the season was just a complete, uh, you know, 180 from what they were doing in the first half of the season. They just dropped off across the board. And it's obviously injuries and other things played a factor in that. But this team is still clearly missing some pieces that can really put them in the tier with some of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. So, what do you think they can really do to kind of take that next step this offseason? Yeah, I think part of it is just have a healthy team. Patrick Williams didn't play a lot of the year. I think that's a really something a lot of people miss. And even when he's, you know, he's young, even when he's played, though, I think he's been pretty good, especially this year. I mean, he had some crazy shooting numbers. And I don't think it was like, obviously, the small sample size, but I don't think it was like some extreme overachievement. I think he's actually a good shooter. And I think having him just develop, have a full healthy off season and be healthy for a season, they'd see a lot of changes in terms of the changes they do need to make. They need to add another big man that can be a role threat, especially in the air. Yeah. You have like Vucevic and, and uh, Derek Jones, but they're not, they're not like the pieces you need for that. I think if you got somebody who could really be, somebody that pops and rolls at a high level, like his athletic and, and just rolls pops, excuse me, even to the mid range. I think that does a lot. So getting someone like that, whether it's even a power forward or center, doesn't have to be a true center. I think that would be big. And then on defense, I mean, there's still a lot of defensive rooms to room to grow. I think off ball defense, you could see a lot. I think they gave up a lot of backdoor cuts way too often. And also even just gave up open threes because they collapsed wrong. So I think getting just smarter defenders and, and a healthy team would do a lot. Yeah, the big big thing for the Bulls has been, or for AK has been, uh, moves on the margin that he's had you know, obviously a couple of good moves on the margin, like keeping um, Javante uh, Green, uh, obviously finding Io in the second round. Um, 
some another one or two moves that he's done, but for the most part, he's had a lot of misses. Um, I would say I look at like we 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 cut Max Juice as an example, who's who would have been like really good to have this season. A guy that can stretch the floor has you know ability to help help out in that regards. Um, just overall, there's little moves like that that I feel like if if he can just improve on and get better at, you know, that can solidify in, in a long season that can help you you know, win games on nights that, you know, you're, you're shorthanded and you're just, you know, other guys are banged up. And they have a, they have a first round pick uh, this year. So they'll be able to at least add someone from a quality draft to do it. Rich, is there anyone that you think that the bulls could really add through a draft that maybe could see playing time next season for a team that's kind of looking to compete right now? I think there's two guys that fall right in the range of where the Bulls are. I think they're personally in a great, great spot because this draft is weird. The The general overview I could give is nobody knows what's going to happen outside of probably the consensus top five, four, the consensus top two guys. Two of the top three would go top two. Jabari Smith, Powell Boncaro, Chet Holmgren. After that, it's anything goes. There's Shaden Sharp is a... An absolute unknown. Nobody knows what's going to happen with Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran. Then you get down the line, there's going to be a lot of weird picks that just sprinkle in guys that are ranked 20s on a lot of boards that go top 10. So for me, the two picks I like the most with the Bulls, Kendall Brown out of Baylor. I think when you look at, uh, I I know for a fact, there was some point guard chemistry issues with him and Jeremy Sohan. Uh, Their point guards just, that, that team had chemistry issues. That's why they lost round two to North Carolina. They didn't even make it out of the first weekend. And Kendall Brown, if you look at his first like 10 games, was elite. He was averaging double-digit points on 72% shooting and playing great defense, the best cutter in the draft, in my opinion, and lights out defense, can guard one through five with the athleticism and size. He's somebody I would strongly consider. And then also you look at Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, who he's probably got more star upside than Kendall Brown. Kendall Brown is going to be a very good player. I just don't know if he can be a star compared to Jalen because Jalen has a lot more self-creation and scoring. And he has that star mold of just really long, really athletic saucy with the ball in his hands. I mean, he's flashy. He can create for himself, create for others, and he can also defend. So he just, he does everything. Those are two guys I could see Chicago swinging for and both year one impact players. Mm. You talk about Kendall Brown shooting. Like, do you think, I mean, I've seen some people mention like his form is a concern. Like, do you think that's a concern? Like, do you think he needs to maybe adjust it at for the NBA level to continue to, you know, be a good shooter? Yeah, I don't think his form is like, look, it's not good, but it's also not something that it's completely unfixable. I think Jeremy Sohan has a lot more issues than him as a shooter. And Sohan's like the draft darling of the year because Sohan can play a one through five and such, but with Kendall Brown, his free throw percentage is a lot better. I think he has real touch. He just needs to kind of smoothen out his shot and honestly just get some reps. He'll be he'll be fine in that way. I think if you leave him in the corners, he'll he'll make you pay. Is there anyone in this draft that you think the Bulls could realistically move up for? Maybe packaging eighteen with the uh, Portland pick. Maybe I, I don't know who else they would throw in. Like if they would throw in a player, but is there? Like, how far do you think they could move up? And is there someone that they could move up for that makes sense? I think they can move into the lottery. I don't think the gap is very far off. 
if they really wanted to get somebody, maybe they could move back with like Charlotte mm-hmm. or something. Although I don't know how much Charlotte wants to do this, but they could get one of two players that I think might be right at the 15 or 13 slot. Charlotte has both of those picks and that's Mark Williams at yeah. center. Yeah. He would be one of those guys that I talked about where he stops a lot of those cutting actions. I think he makes up for some of the off ball woes defensively and then an explosive finisher at the rim. And then Usman Jang from the New Zealand breakers. He he's a French wing kind of no position. He's six, nine just does everything. Stalwart on defense can create and could spot up shoot. He had a tail of two seasons, average four points a game on like 20, 28% shooting very low mid twenties for the first 11 games. After that, he was like 13 points a game on 48% shooting. So those are two guys I could see them moving up for. Man, I- How about our guy like Benedict um, and Maturin? Because the Bulls supposedly met with him. Um, so that I found that interesting. And I thought he was probably like a top seven-ish player, right, in this draft. Maybe for seven, ten uh, in that range, I would think. Uh, well, how much do you think they have to give up to move up to get a guy like him? Um, as far as, as I said, I find it interesting that they met with him. Yeah, I think he's safely a top ten pick. So you would have to trade with Washington, who I don't think they should. They're they're in a weird situation. Yes, they could. They should trade. They should probably trade up because of the weird situation they're in, where they're in a desperate timeline to save the Bradley Beal era. And Benedict Matherin is not only a safe player now, but also a very good player going forward. So I think they they're going to be the team you either have to trade with or jump. They could also benefit from gaining assets and moving back because of the drop off say Benedict, Benedict Matherin is gone, there's a good chance that they're not going to be able to get somebody from that top eight. And if that's the case, that next tier goes like at the 10th pick to like the 20th pick, you're not going to see much of a change. I think you're going to see pretty, you know, the 11th pick will probably be good as the as good as the 20th pick. So I think they're the team you either have to trade with or beat to get Matherin. How would you like his fit with the Bulls? Like, as far as because I, I mean, I watched some of the NCAA and I was just his length and everything. Like, man, I would love to have a guy like this on the Bulls. Yeah, with with Mather, I think he fits everywhere. You look at a guy who can defend at an ideal level, can shoot, and has a little bit of creation upside. That's really the thing that'll unlock the rest of his game. And he's really athletic. I think his ability to score at the rim will be very easy because of his first step. If you close out on his jump shot, he's going to make you pay at the rim. Man, I would really like Mark Williams. <laughs> Man, he is – I think Mark Williams is going to be a really, really good defensive player in the NBA, and he's just got a really good like rim-running uh, skill set, really good athlete, just going to be a hell of a defensive maker. I, what, did you, what do you think about uh, – Terry Eason from uh, LSU. Uh, I'm looking on like Tankathon and he's mo- uh, mocked at like 15 to Charlotte, but I've heard his name mentioned a lot and a, a bunch of people really like him as someone either who goes in like late lottery or just outside of it. But what do you think of his game? Yeah, I, I have mixed thoughts. I think he's a top 10 talent. His basketball IQ needs a lot of work. He, he needs to get better at just fitting in with the scheme and learning just defense, especially. So he's got to have a little bit of a learning curve. I think he's a very good talent to gamble on. If you're just looking at, Hey, this guy is very good at the game of basketball. He just doesn't, he's not a complex player. He's just a very simple player in a free flow offense and defense. That's okay. If the bulls want to go that route occasionally, but if you're trying to run set defenses, advanced defenses, where it's like, all right, switch if this happens and this, and it's very just complicated. He's not going to be your guy. Yeah, this is a 
this draft overall seems to be like you said the top five seems to be top five or maybe even six seems to be kind of like set but outside of that there could be a lot of unpredictability so it'll be interesting to see how the bulls maneuver outside of that if they decide to move up or if they really decide to uh decide to stay where they're at what is your overall opinion like if, if we're looking strictly at the top five or so how do you see that going and which players do you think do you have the most faith in that are going to really pan out in that group you said in the top five yeah like so we're talking about like Holmgren Smith uh Bancaro Ivy you know Sharp I don't know if Murray might go top five and said but yeah the players in that in those group like how do you think how do you see that playing out on draft night and who do you have the most faith in in terms of like really reaching their upside well, I think the safest player is Jabari Smith. He is the easiest upside to achieve as a 6'10", 3 and D guy. There's really only one 3 and D guy that big in the league, and that's Maxi Kleba. And he is literally only spot up shooting and only protect and like almost protecting the rim being a, a defender. You look at Jabari Smith, who is a lot better on both ends, can hit off of fakes and can hit off the dribble in any capacity. Maxi cannot, and he can also create a little bit better. So. You look at the the impact Jabari would have, I think that's an all-star. Very easy path. Chet has the highest upside. I think he's uh, – it's nuts, though, because, like, yes, he's skinny. But also, if you look at, like, what he does, it translates so clearly. Like, a, a stretch big who can pass and shoot is a very good player. So, I think the whole, the whole top three, I would say also including Paolo, I, I just – a guy that can score at his size, I don't want to overthink that. Those three are all going to stick. It's probably the safest top three – that I can remember, yes, Chet may very well may be the best candidate to bust. But if you even get two of the top three, it's pretty good. And then Jaden Ivey probably hits. I just have a hard time seeing him not. He has the most pros of any player I've listed on my scouting reports. And Jaden Sharp's a massive mystery. I could see him going both ways. Uh, but if you, I would want a top three pick, if you're trying to trade in that top five, if you're at five, if you're trading for five, it's just not really worth it. Number five versus number nine, ten, it's not a major drop-off. So if if you're Orlando, you're taking you're taking Chet number one. Yes, because okay. the way I look at it is I don't want them to do what Oklahoma City is doing, and go, even though it, it feels worse what Oklahoma City is doing. But I don't want them to go all in on another year of tanking. I think they need to kind of get back there while getting their superstar upside player, and Chet is that player. And on top of that, if they walk into another number one pick and they get Victor Wembanyama next year then Chet can fit with them. They're actually very easy to fit together. And that's a good problem. I think ultimately, though, the Magic, who have been in, at best, mediocrity the last 10 years, they need to get a chance out of it. A superstar center that Chet could be is worth investing in, even if you miss. One last question as far as later round uh, talent is uh, Nikola Jovic. Like, what are your thoughts on him? I've seen a lot of mixed stuff like, there's people that really love him, and then there's people that see, like, okay, yeah, I mean, he has interesting tools, but they're really concerned with his limitations. So, like, what are your thoughts as far as who type of player he is and maybe the Bulls can maybe look at him as well? He's really interesting. I love his talent. I've had him top 10 for most of the year. And then I heard some things about his work ethic that uh, – are not necessarily work ethic, just some of his habits that have come – since he's come across to the States earlier this month, and it's been a bit of a turnoff. Uh, he also, there are flaws in his game, probably one of the worst defenders in the class. I can overlook it. He's 6'11". I have no issue with that. Fine. He'll, he'll have some way to make up for size, but very slow laterally. 
And also, he can't finish in the rim. He's pretty much a perimeter player only at 6'11". But when you're 6'11", you could be a small ball five in that way. He can run pick and rolls. He can spot up. He can create his own three. And I think it's really valuable. All he has to do is literally translate that. Be a pick and roll ball handler and create your own three-point shot and hit it because his jump shot form is beautiful. You probably translate. How good he can be is purely up to those habits that he builds as a young player, though. Who were you looking at the Mavericks having some interest in with their pick at uh, 26? Well, I hope they trade it just because they, I hope they trade back to the 30s. My dream, I hate when the Magic and Mavs actually do stuff together because it puts me in this weird pickle. <laughs> but I actually want that to happen. I want them to take 32 and 36, 35 from the Magic because one, the Mavs, the Magic don't need two second rounders. And also the Magic front office since taking over in 2017 has used two second rounders, I think, maybe three. I know Wessel one do, what, um, what's his name, Melvin Frazier and like one other guy who I'm, I'm blanking on. Hmm. And they're, they're all been high picks in the 30s. In the 30s and 20s don't have much of a difference of a hit rate. So I think when you look at the Mavs, they don't want a guaranteed contract. Probably they're, they're always, I mean, Mark Cuban has always done this in 2013. Uh, notoriously he chose to save a little bit of cap space by moving back a few like two or three picks instead of picking Giannis so I think it benefits both the Magic can get just their one first round player they want the Mavs can get their two non-guarantee guys or even trade out of that second one and get somebody on a really cheap deal at good value they've already hit it the low 30s once why not do it again they did it with Brunson in 2018 so Mm. I think I have faith in them even though it's a whole new off front office to do it again is there any player like that's like in the top ten that you're you uh, that you're kind of like iffy about overall? Like you're maybe you think they're a little overhyped, or maybe you just don't really see them panning out in the NBA. Like their game just isn't really a good fit. Yeah, like the consensus top ten, or I'm assuming my top ten probably wouldn't yeah, have that. Yeah, so maybe like yeah, someone I, in your top ten. Yeah, I realized after I started yeah. talking, I was like, oh, I probably shouldn't <laughs> said that. But the guy who I, I'll go back, I kind of hinted at it earlier. Um, Yes, he could be the next Draymond. He also could be uh, a Jarrett Culver, bigger Jarrett Culver in a way, and that's Jeremy Sohan. I worry about him. I think he has a serious fatal flaw that he cannot shoot right now. But half of, I feel like th- this is a complete guesstimate, but like at least a quarter of his made threes, it feels like we're bank threes. And when that's the case, that's not very good. His free throw percentage is terrible. His three-point percentage is terrible. I worry about if teams just sagged off of him he could be like a Draymond. He could, I, I think the realistic best route is being that Warriors death lineup, Iguodala. Hmm. And that's a good player. But if he goes to, I don't know, say the Wizards with that, is that really that impactful of a player? I don't know. You need that for a title contending team. Yes, that works. But when you're, when you're a team that's so far away, what are you getting as your value? Good defender, good playmaker. And in theory, he can play one through five. But if you can't shoot, are you really much of a wing? Like, I, I just, I think there's a lot of holes in the argument for him in, in that way. I, it used to be Dyson Daniels, and I warmed up to him. But Jeremy Sohan, somebody I worry about. It seems like I can't even really get a feel for him because I feel like there's a lot of people who really like him, but then there's some people who are kind of concerned about him. But, like, A.J. Griffin, it, I don't know. Like, I could definitely see the upside with him, but I think a lot of people talked about his defense, and they – have just kind of been like really worried that he's just not going to be able like he's going to be really poor defensively and not going to be like so great offensively to make up for it but like do you think he's kind of like in that same line of people you have some concern with or, or are you kind of like a little higher on him 
Yeah. Um, you know, with AJ, I think you summed it up. That first sentence of, I don't have a feel on him is a lot of these players are tough to evaluate. It's what yeah. makes this draft kind of not that good. In my opinion is it's like, okay, what do we do with these guys? And when that's the case, eh, I'm selling. So for me with AJ, he was a top, I mean, there, there were things I remember in 2020, late 2020, there were people who were saying like, let's rank the top high school prospects in the world right now mm. or under draft eligible prospects, excuse me. And like, this is when basketball was shut down and people were like, look, if AJ Griffin declared today, he'd be a top five prospect. Like he is that good. And then he got injured really barely played after that. Um, so for me, you look at somebody who's so athletic, he's built, he has an NBA frame, doesn't have to ever go hit the gym, the weight room. Uh, more than the basketball court, yeah. which is a very good like development for him. I don't think uh, NBA teams really need to focus on that. Great shooter, despite the ridiculously long base. He like it feels like half the time he's almost doing splits, but it works. Mm-hmm. And then on defense, you know, like I said, he's, I think once he gets healthier and the strength, that combination is going to do a lot for him. He's had plays where he navigates screens. He knows what he's doing. The production, defensive production this year was terrible. I just don't know how much of it was because of the injury or how much of it is actually he won't ever be a good defender. I think I would gamble on him turning from a bad defender to an actually positive defender. And if that's the case, he's probably going to be near a star upside. Yeah, I remember when we were talking about A.J. Griffin earlier in the year, we were saying at times how like at least size wise and maybe like athletic wise and just kind of like movement wise like he kind of looks like jimmy butler a little bit even down to like we were just laughing about it the way that his jersey just falls out all of the time during games but he's definitely going to be like one of the more interesting players i think to see if his upside uh pans out rich thank you so much for uh joining us again on bulls go we love talking to you uh can you let our listeners know what you're working on right now. And again, where they can find you at on social media. Yeah. At Mavs draft is the hub. Pretty much anything I post or do goes through there every day from here on out, which sounds like a lot, but it's actually only for like four weeks Mm -hmm. is going to be scouting reports, mock drafts. Um, Me and Bryce Simon from motor city hoops. We're, we're doing video and scouting report, video scouting reports, written scouting reports on every player in my top 100. They have learned to tackle. We're going to have full in-depth scouting reports, shot charts, videos, all of it for the next month. And then also I do locked on NBA big board where I I'm on every Tuesday, but the whole show is is just incredible. It's a very qualified group. Rafael Barlow is, I mean, that guy should be in consideration to take over Mike Schmitz's job Mm -hmm. at ESPN. I'm not even exaggerating when I say that we're very lucky to have him. It's a great show. So give it a listen. All right. Yeah. Check that out, man. Again, thank you so much to Rich for uh, dropping by and blessing us with some draft knowledge and, of course, some really good knowledge about the Dallas Mavericks and the Bulls. Uh, Salim, you got any final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah. Thanks to Rich, obviously, as always, for joining us. Um, Yeah. Just my final thought will be interesting to see how the rest of these playoffs go. Uh, Again, I'm hoping Warriors uh, heat, but this – Boston's heat series has been really weird. So uh, that game seven can go like, you know, bonkers for all we know. Um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll be interested to see what else rumors pop up for the bulls as, you know, we get closer to the draft. Um, you know, we'll, we'll AK surprise us again with a weird trade that we didn't think about that could happen on draft day. Maybe he's not looking to add another young player. Maybe he's looking to add a more established vet. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, I've always talked about a guy like Kuzma. I would love to add him. I don't know how that's possible, obviously, for the Bulls, but I that's another player I was always thought about, you know, that they should 
um, they should target. But yeah, it'll be interesting. Like I said, you know, the Bulls need to get more players that they can rely on uh, when, especially when teams double down, triple down, trap Zach and DeMar uh, mm. at open threes. So yeah, we'll see how that happens. But yeah, looking forward to the rest of the playoffs and seeing what other rumors pop up. Absolutely. Yeah. So hopefully we're probably get a good game seven tomorrow and uh, we'll see how the uh, NBA finals goes between the Warriors and uh, the winner of tomorrow night's game. And we'll always be on the lookout for more uh, Bulls rumors that are going to get get people going (laughs) in between free agency. But that concludes today's episode of Bulls Gold. As always, you can catch us uh, on the Barroom Network. Check out our past uh, shows wherever you get your podcast and for Salim Sudawala, I'm Edward Schuler. This has been Bulls Gold, and we will catch you next time, Bulls fans.